I'm having a moment here because um, in my Bible, can you hear me? Am I on? Does this thing work? No? Richard, help. Chris, don't move. I know you want to. All right. Here we go. It's my vacation working its way out is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I just flipped uh, to the last page of Romans in my Bible. What? Right. So some of you have been here for three years, four years have gone through this, and I see the blank space at the end of it. So this is sad for me. I don't know if some of you are happy about it. I'm sad about it uh, and uh, grateful for that. Hey, um, we come today to one of my favorite rituals that our church has, which is that um, once a year, we take seven days, and we should take more, but right now we just take seven, and we um, dedicate it to prayer. We have what we call here the week of prayer, and we, we kick it off today, and we're going to conclude it next Sunday. Next Sunday uh, is going to be a special Sunday. Um, I know that when I say a week of prayer, and then we're going to have a prayer Sunday, half of you are like wondering, what's on TV? Is there any good brunches open? And you're not going to do that. You're going to come. You're going to pray, and uh, you're going to be a part of a really special service um, my, my good friends, I call them pastors, Daniel and, and Scott, are going to be uh, delivering some of the word next week along with me, and I'm excited about that as well, as the Lord just has so many people in our church who are encouraging us through the word. Um, but, but here we are right now at a week of prayer, and if ever there was a time for us to be a praying people, it was now, amen, right? Like, that's just, in this moment of life, we need the Lord. And I always, I, I love looking at you on the week of prayer, and, and you know, I I feel the question and the burden already. It's like, how many of you pray a lot? How many of you pray enough? And everyone's like, oh, I don't. I don't pray enough. I know. And um, every, every year I say the same thing. I say, uh, prayer is not about quantity. Prayer is about relationship. It's not about how much you pray, but it's about the fact that when we pray, we, we dig in with the Lord. We, we know who he is. We, we have our lives reframed by him, not just by us. Every uh, year, another thing that I say uh, at this weekend is um, we don't just pray for a week. We pray every day. <laughs> at our church, we don't just pray for a week. We pray every day. And this is a week designed to turbocharge your walk with God. Prayer, prayer is a, um, a vast topic in the scriptures, it was core to Jesus' ministry. It was um, a prayer gathering that launched the church. And it had been prayer gatherings that have sustained and revived the church throughout history. I love, I don't know, I didn't pick the songs that we sang. I never picked the songs, actually. I don't know why I even insinuated that. But, um, but I love that all the songs we sang today were, were about just not having fear because we have a great God who's conquered the hardest thing in, in life itself. It reminds me, of a quote I want to butcher, but by uh, Sim, Jim Cimbala, who this week I was reading on prayer and, and praying along and, and having him inform um, my heart. And Jim Cimbala said, you know, it's, it's in prayer that we come to the Lord and we lay down all of our burdens and our fears and we realize that God is willing to dispense the mighty armies of heaven on our behalf. Pray, prayer is what God has always used in the church to ignite a fire under his people and in our lives. It was D.L. Moody who observed this truth once. It's been repeated often. He said, I'd rather be able to pray than be able to preach. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but he taught them how to pray. The aim of our preaching is always to show people Jesus, right? That's John 12, 21. But the goal of our living is to learn how to pray because prayer galvanizes our souls and fires up our hearts. 
So my prayer today, and I hope your prayer today, is that we would just join the disciples when they said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. The Apostle Paul knew how to pray. Uh, In his life, it serves as a prayer model for us. Actually, most of what we know about prayer comes from Paul's writings and Paul's prayers that he wrote down and he sent along to other churches, which we call epistles or his letters. Paul was always talking about prayer, his prayers, and he was always praying. And perhaps if we spent time with Paul, we wouldn't be blown away by his you know, great rhetorical mind or his empathetic heart or his you know, leadership acumen, but we would be blown away by the fact that he had a deep will to pray. Look at me in our text this morning. We come to Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Here we see a praying missionary. Paul makes his request of the Roman Christians. Here's what he asks. I'm going to read it out loud. You just follow along with me. Here's what, here's what Paul says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Say these three words with me together. To strive together. It's going to be really important for us. To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We have a very privileged viewpoint from our perspective in history to look back upon the prayers that Paul prayed and to see how they worked out. When Paul prayed this, he didn't know if he was going to be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. He didn't know if the ministry in Jerusalem would be acceptable to the saints. He didn't know if he would ever be able to see the Christian believers in Rome. But we know what actually happened to Paul. We know the rest of the story. Because he prayed and God answered his prayer in a very different way than I imagine Paul expected his prayers to be answered or even wanted. How many people, like, that's maybe why you don't even pray. You're like, I know God is maybe going to twist me up in this, and he's going to work out to his good and his glory, and ultimately I know somewhere it's going to be for my good because God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? But, but I don't really want to give God the permission to mess up my plans. And so we don't pray sometimes. The Apostle Paul, I love this, he shows us, he models for us, he gives us three characteristics that I want to pull out of this text for three qualities of a heart that is fired up for God in prayer. Three qualities that, I mean, I'm not going to teach you how to pray today. I'm going to just help us see the necessity of prayer and how it works. And we learned through the Apostle Paul's life, that on the back end of all of this, that God did in Paul what God wanted to do in Paul. You might think um, all of this is a setup for the lesson, be careful what you pray for. But it's not. We know what actually happened in Paul's life because he prayed, God answered in a different way, and ultimately he made it to Rome. But he wasn't welcoming people in his arms. He was enchained as a prisoner. The lesson for us in Paul's life is simply this, that prayer is so crucial in our lives that we ought to be willing to go wherever God wants us to go to say whatever God wants us to say, to do whatever God wants us to do, and to pay the cost for whatever God wants us to pay the cost. What was it in the midst of all of this that kept Paul's ministry on mission? It was his prayers. Prayers. 
they, these are not magical attributes that I want to put before us today that you'll grow in, you know, the moment you walk out the door today and you'll be excellent at these things. These are attributes that I want to pull out of Paul's life today that, that are going to take us our whole entire lifetime to grow in. And yet, I think we'll find deep roots in our lives that will nourish our souls. Here's the first one. You ready? You guys with me today? Ready to learn a little bit about prayer and to apply it to our lives? Here we go. Tim's with me. Thank you, Tim. Anyone else with me? Okay. God's people ought to pray passionate prayers. That's just the first thing we learned from Paul's life. God's people, they pray passionate prayers. If you look back, I know I just took it off the screen, but if you look back in the text, look at what he says. I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ and in, in the, in the love of the Spirit. And then I had you say these words, strive together with me in prayer to God for me. This is a very Trinitarian approach. He says, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, in your prayers to God on my behalf, right? right? With all that Paul could earnestly muster up, he's saying, hey, I'm passionate about what I'm about to ask you. I need you to actually like, care a little bit about this. It's not just the type of thing that you, you know, read the backside of a cereal box, but you actually care about my life. You have a, an invested interest in this with me. Will you care for me? Paul isn't assuming prayer is a small thing. It's no tag along. It's no, hey, how you doing? I'll pray for you type of a condolence. Paul is at war. In fact, the answer to the above prayer is going to land Paul in a jail cell from Rome to, for which he's going to write what we call the prison epistles or the letters to the churches from prison. It's like the OG letters from a Birmingham jail. One of the churches he writes to is the church in Ephesus. He, he tells them to be at war against the devil and the spiritual powers of the world. And after listing the armor of God, he says to them this. Look at this. It's Ephesians 6, verse 18 and 20. It says this. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This doesn't sound like a guy who treats prayer like it's just filling up the gas tank of his car, does it? And this is a guy whose very life and sustenance depends upon God answering his prayers. Prayer, prayer is war. No, we don't like war. We don't want to talk about war. Some of us have been to war and back, and, and we, we've been marked by it. But, but prayer, there's no way around it. Prayer is war. War requires sustained and determined efforts, intentionality, strategy, consideration. We get the sense from Paul in Romans 15 that he is in agony over this request and he literally is. If you look back at the text, he says, strive together with me. That word strive, it's a, a combo word in the Greek, and I'm sure you can figure it out. The, the word first, the first part is soon, it's together, and the second part is the Greek word uh, agonizai, which sounds to you like the word agonize, yeah, or agony. If you've ever, let's be real, I know a lot of you pray so diligently, Many of you have prayed for the same thing for decades. You're an inspiration to me, and I, 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 I have prayers that I've picked up that I expect to pray for a very long time as well. But I know some of the prayers that some of us have prayed have been agonizing prayers, just pleading with God. 
um, the, the pain that we feel sometimes in our body, it reflects in our soul. In fact, I think this is probably why a lot of people don't pray. Because the effort required is high. It's not as easy as the endless scroll on a phone or the endless binging of a miniseries. It's hard work. And Pastor Steve, this week, as we were kind of considering all of these things together, he, he, he said it this way. I thought it was helpful. He said, it's hard to pray as you are praying, which, which is to say prayer is such a thing that you keep going and you keep praying, and it's hard to pray as you pray. It's hard to be at war while you're at war. It's hard to keep going because sometimes the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Paul shows us that God's people ought to pray passionate prayers, prayers that our lives depend on it. It's like a wrestling match. It's, um, it's like a Epaphras in, in Colossians. At the end of Colossians, Paul commends Epaphras. As he describes as someone who is always wrestling for you on your behalf with God. It's like a wrestling match, but, but it's not a match where you're wrestling with God. It's a match where you're actually wrestling with yourself. Do you know that? Have you ever had the experience where you've come to God in prayer and you've wanted to pray over a situation? In the midst of your prayer, you realize that it was your own desires that God was revealing were antithetical or contrary to the thing that God wanted for you? And instead of wrestling with God, you just started lifting up yourself and saying, God, woe is me. Like, I can't believe this is the type of guy I am. God, I can't believe, like, like I'm trying to twist your arm into this thing that now I'm realizing is just really a me thing. God, like, Thank you for revealing this in my heart, but Lord, help me with me. This is the wrestling match of prayer. It was a Phillips Brooks, the 19th century preacher, who said, Prayer is not that man can get his way accomplished in heaven, but that God can get his way accomplished on earth. See, prayer changes things, certainly, and chiefly of those things that it changes is me. If, if you don't like the person you see reflected in your own spiritual mirror, no diet will help you. <laughs> no set of followers on social media will help you. No better paying job will help you. The only way forward is to pray and to let the Lord do his work in your heart. Prayer changes things. Three things that prayer changes, just really, really quickly. Um, prayer changes my attitude towards God. When I pray, prayer changes my attitude with, uh, with God, towards God. And I'm looking at you, Gail. I'm, uh, thank you for praying today. And Kristen and I were talking about you this week and just so grateful for the moments that you pray in, in a women's Bible study or on the phone with us or here in the stage. And always, when I, whenever I'm in prayer with you, sister, it, it's, it changes the way I think about God. Your passion for Jesus just changes the way I think about God. And, and do you have those people in your life too? I mean, Gail's one of those people for me, but I, I know you have those people in your life, right? Who, who you're around them and you pray with them and, 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 and all of a sudden you started the day off and you were like kind of angry and kind of a jerk. You would never admit this, I know, but you were kind of a jerk. And, and then you prayed and, and the Lord changed you, right? The Lord changed you because you saw how good he is. 2020 was a brutal year. One of the worst things about it for me had nothing to do with the pandemic. It had, had all to do with the fact that our monthly gathering of people in this building to pray had to stop. And we did a lot of things as a church to keep praying together, but it just wasn't the same as, as being together in the same space and praying together. And I don't want to make like some big deal about it. We only ever had like 12 to 15 people show up on a Tuesday anyway. But I, I needed those nights. 
Like your pastor needed those nights to pray. Why? Because in the midst of the slog of life, you can lose sight of the fact of who God is and his character and the fact that he is way bigger than anything you ever imagined and way stronger than the weak God that you've put inside of your mind that he is. And you come together with other people and you pray and all of a sudden you realize that God has never changed which changes your perspective of him. Prayer changes me. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. It changes my attitude towards God. The second way I think prayer changes is it changes my ambitions in life. Changes my ambitions in life. Here's Paul's request to the Romans. I want to put it back on the screen for you. He says this. That Look at the three requests he makes. He says that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. We'll talk about them in a second. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So that by God's will, I may come with joy to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now, um, Paul didn't have what we would call an easy life. Paul was in jail and beaten and discouraged. He was, he was shipwrecked and, and left for dead. He was often at every moment met with opposition, but he slogged on as, as a missionary for the, the sole purpose of the fact that he was convinced Jesus Christ had actually died and come back to life and was the true king of the world. And I, I wonder if, you know, if, if we could talk to Paul and say, I'm not under the pretense that the way that Paul wrote this letter was just one stream of conscious thought, 16 chapters there, go publish it. Um, I, I imagine he came back to this time and time again. When we get to chapter 16, we'll kind of learn a little bit more about his writing process. But um, I want to know from Paul, how many times did you scratch things out before you wrote that? Like, how many times in your own heart did you pray that, you know, pray, pray for me that I might finally, like Pastor Dan, get a vacation? Like, pray, pray for me that I might have a nice place to stay this time. Pray, pray for me that I won't ever encounter a storm in my life again. Pray, pray for me that my churches would all stay safe and grow big. No. He says, pray for me that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. You know who those people were? Those people were the Pharisees that Paul used to be that he left. It's the, it's the Hatfields, or the Hat, Hatfields and McCoys. Daniel, you're from almost West Virginia. Hatfields and McCoys, okay. It's the Hatfields going back into McCoy territory. This is, this is what Paul's saying. He's like, I'm going back where the Crips and the Bloods are, and I'm on the other side now. And, and this, is, this, is, this is real. This is Paul's death threats out against him, and he says, I, I'm, I need you to pray because my life is on the line. But notice what he, pray, what he prays next. He says um, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. What was that? That was bringing back of the offering, back to the saints in Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem was one of the most conservative Christian churches that, that was in the ancient world. Jerusalem, the, the Christians in Jerusalem looked at Paul suspiciously. You know how, like, pastors have their favorite person that they want to, like, warn the church against? Like, don't listen to this person because they're a heretic. That was happening from the Jerusalem church towards Paul. That rogue apostle out there, you know, we're not sure about him yet. And he was praying, hey, Hey, for the sake of the gospel, I'm, I'm praying that you would ask the Lord to allow my service to the Jerusalem church to be acceptable so that there can be unity amongst God's people. 
and that by God's will, I may come to you and be refreshed in your company. Paul was a real dude with, with real struggles in life, but what does he pray for? He prays for ministry of God to succeed through him. He doesn't pray for his own stuff. He prays for God's ambitions. Isn't that incredible? That, that of everything in his life, God might be glorified. And he went through some hard things, and God was glorified through that. I, I just think that's incredible. So here's a question for you. Do you want to fight the American idolatry that exists in your own heart? The only way to do it is to pray. <laughs> because in that, God reshapes your ambitions. Finally, the last thing I think God changes in me is, is my, my attitude towards others. And this couldn't be more relevant to our culture today. We have an us versus them mode of operating today. You pick your arena, it's, it's very divisive. And Paul's example is that he cares so deeply about others, and he knows that they care deeply about him. If there's been anything in this letter that Paul, you know, has tweaked the Roman Christians on, that, I mean, just mean like offended them. And let's be honest, Paul has offended everybody in this letter, Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, everybody. He, he comes to them, and they're reminded of the gospel. Perhaps they weren't so excited about Paul, and he knows it's hard to be mad at people that you're asking God to bless. So Paul says, pray for me also. In all of your prayers for me, pray earnestly for me that I might be able to finish the work that God's called me to. Not to heap on guilt, because I'm reflecting my own heart in this question, but when's the last time you prayed for your enemies? When was the last time you prayed for your family? We, um, we had our in-laws, my in-laws, over uh, the past cu- couple days at our house, and um, we have this tradition in our family where um, at dinner time we save all of the Christmas cards that you guys all send to our, our house. Um, we save those throughout the years, and our kids randomly pick one every night, and we pray over that family. And I've prayed over many of you. I think I've texted some of you like, hey, just by the way, we prayed over you guys tonight, just hoping the God, that, that, that God blesses you and, and, and encourages you and strengthening you and so um papa and and uh papa was in town last night and um my son miles we were eating dinner and he walked over to the other room where he keep the cards we didn't know what he was doing he came back with papa's card in his hand and we were all like oh of course we're gonna pray for papa miles didn't pick out the card with a kid that he struggles with on it he picked out papa because we easily pray for the people we love my heart is naturally for those people, but, but God says to us, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. I don't remember who said this, but the, the quote goes like this, you know, Jesus is often telling us to love our enemies and our neighbors because oftentimes they're one and the same. And when we pray for each other and we pray for people who are on the opposite side of us, it's the strangest thing. I find myself unable to be mad at them. Hey, 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 married couples who are going through a hard time right now, are you spending more time praying for your spouse than you are mentally battling them in your own mind? Hey, kids whose parents are giving you a hard time right now, are you spending more time praying for your parents than you are trying to get your own way? Prayer, prayer just has this way of bringing us to God and changing me. And these are the passionate prayers that I think Paul shows us that we ought to be praying as people. How do we grow in love? We, we pray. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. God's people, not only do they pay passionate, pray passionate prayers, but they pray personal 
prayers. And I hope you get an amen out of this one because um, so many times in the church we, we, we talk about prayer and we say, shame on you for praying about yourself. You, you hear that before? Like not overtly, but it seems like that's the message we give you. Like, hey, don't be so selfish in your prayers. And um, that's, that's absolutely true. When we say that, we're, we're kind of reflecting the fact that God is a big God. That God, God knows what you need. And so you don't need to waste your time trying to like puff yourself up in front of him. But I love that Paul earnestly requests that the Roman Christians would pray for him in the middle of all these things. It's very personal. This is part of why we as a church, we often are asking you, hey, if we can pray for you personally, that would be an honor for us. The core of Paul's prayer, it's a personal plea for for the unbelievers to spare his life, for the gifts to be delivered back to Jerusalem. Paul was personally invested in these, and he was asking others to join him personally in this prayer. Sometimes in the Christian life, we overemphasize ourselves, but I think sometimes we can retroactively, you know, swift or move the pendulum to the far side of the equation, and we can underemphasize ourselves, as if we, we were holy when we told God, like, not anything in my life that I want. Didn't Jesus pray a personal prayer the night that he was betrayed? Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. We never fault Jesus for that personal prayer, that, that personal desire, God, that, that there be any way around this and that I don't have to go through this. Would you allow that to happen? God, this is my personal, this is where I'm at right now. When we pray personal prayers, I'm reminded that God is able to handle all of the problems in my life, all of the tension, all of the chaos, all the emotional turmoil in my life. What is prayer if it is not honest personal communication with our maker? All of this, though, I think is is clear for us because Paul says this. He says, finally, I want to bring this around for you, and then I want us to close in prayer. I want us to see this. The big idea, notice what Paul says in Romans. Put that, maybe that last slide up. He says this. He says, I want, I want God to do all three, these three things. And then he says this, so that by God's will, look at it there in the text. It's, it's right at the end. He says, so that by God's will, verse 32, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. God's people pray passionate prayers. They pray personal prayers. But, but, they, but they pray by desiring God's will to be done. We, we all know this. This sounds very much like Jesus' prayer, thy will be done. And it is. Prayers that aren't personal, I think, are just perfunctory. Prayers that aren't for God's will to be done are just best wishes. Paul's example of this prayer for God's will to be done, even if it means sacrificing his deep desires, helps us remember that God is sovereign and God's providence is true. That that God, I trust that you, that's providence, that you see before, pro being before video being to see. God is providential. He sees before we see it. And in prayer, I, I come to God and I say, God, here's where I'm at. Here's where my heart is. I'm struggling with this thing. And God, I know that you know. And I know that you see what I don't see. So help me to see that you know so that one day when I see what you see, I can see that you knew. It's prayer. Daniel always wants me to repeat things when I say them really well. I couldn't repeat that if my <laughs> life depended on that. But that's, that's the point, right, is that God's providence, that he knows what's coming around the bend, is the thing that we lean upon in prayer. Paul, he never gave up 
He never gave up. That, that moment where he was arrested, praying this prayer, never gave up. Asking God, like, let your will be done in me, God. I'm in chains. I don't know how this is going to work out. But let your ministry go forth. Let my life be an offering for you. Let my, my, my ministry go forward for you. And, and, and Paul did most of his writing from a jail cell in prison after this prayer was prayed. Like I said, Paul, Paul's life didn't really turn out the way his prayers implied that they would. But did they? That, that God's will would be done. And it was. How, how do you and I deal with the disappointments in life? How do we deal with circumstances around us that don't match the expectations of our deep desires? I think before we lash out at God or criticize or take matters into our own hands, what God wants from us is, is to pray. To pray. Could Paul have summoned an army to release him from prison from amongst the believers? Possibly. But his situation never caused him to lose his focus on his mission. How many of us could overcome long-term bitterness in our lives if we truly believed that God's will was better than our own in prayer? I think even as Jesus prayed to take that cup of the cross away from him, he added this phrase, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. How many of us could grow in the joyful gladness of seeing prayers answered if we just stay in it a little bit longer? How many of us would increase our strength if we found our weak knees a little bit more? Now is the time to fight. Paul says, fight for me, fight with me, fight for the unbelievers, fight for those who are in need, fight for God's will to be done.